I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics from personal stories to hot button issues. We cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday. So make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. I find it really funny that when the other person isn't saying the spiel, both of us do this where we lean back. Yeah, gotta give you your space. It's like, it's it's almost like a sign, too, of, like, you're doing it, not me. <laughs> it's just funny, like, every time one of us does it, the other person, like, leans Becca. back. Yeah. Um, also, I just realized that we forgot to mention in our mini-episode, because we are bad business people, we have a show coming up. Oh, my gosh! We are horrible! We have a um, live show coming up. In connection with The Swallow's Flight, they are hosting us. They are hosting this event, and they are having it at Flowers Magic Meditation in Los Angeles. So if you are in L.A. on the 24th of October, which is this coming Thursday, come on out. The event starts at 5.30. We go on at 6.30. It's going to be a really, really great event. They're going to have intentional bouquets, which I think is super cool. It's like, because it's a flower shop, also, you know, meditation, and they do yoga and all kinds of other things. But uh, they're going to do intentional bouquets where they will create you a bouquet based on, like... Your intentions. Yeah, your intentions, which is really, really cool. Oh, and there's tarot cards card readings mm-hmm. and there's going to be meditation and yes and we're going to tea. be doing a show on the history of female healers women yes. healers so if that's something that you might be interested in go to our instagram and click on the link in our bio and yeah. that will take you to the Eventbrite page you don't have to buy tickets beforehand you can also buy tickets at the door but it is highly encouraged uh, yeah. to buy tickets beforehand and um yeah we look forward to seeing you we really hope you guys come out no it's gonna be really fun it's I'm... such a beautiful space oh my gosh from the photos that i've seen it's absolutely fantastic all right so that's enough about what's coming up 
next week. This week, we are talking about women in horror films. Horror films, which are some of my faves. I love a horror film. We used to get together Mm -hmm. and watch horror movies, like, multiple times a week. Oh, yeah. I love horror movies. Like, I watch them as soon as they come out, usually. I have a ton of them. I've seen them all. I just really dig on a horror movie. I do, too. And the thing is, is that the past few relationships I've had, they don't like horror movies. I don't know that Anthony loves it either, but he watches it with me. It's kind of like a thing that we do together. He, like, won't... So, I've been wanting to see Hereditary forever. Hereditary is scary. I saw it finally with Lauren. I was not that scared of it. I, I, I thought Hereditary was scary because I'm not scared, typically, of your standard horror movie. That one was so unnerving to me. Like, I, I felt very unnerved by that movie. I think what helped is that, so I watched it with my friend Lauren, and we were having a slumber party, and we ended up pausing it a lot to have conversation. Oh. So I think that kind of eased the tension. Yes, because um, the but thing also, that makes like, that movie scary is the tension because it's so slow yeah. and you have to really watch what's happening yeah. because it, like there's one part in it at the end that I'm not going to ruin for people that like not that part. Madigan's doing a thing. That part was gross, but not that's not what scared me. I'll bleep I'll cut it out what part scared you. I just I found it interesting and creepy, but I wasn't like I can't sleep now, Lauren. Her I have a picture of her cuddling with Penny, holding on to Penny, her face just having this horror-struck expression, and it was so funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, so we are both horror, scary movie fans. And I love in, a good exorcist We're in movie. good company, too, yes. because Americans tend to see more horror movies than most other uh, people of other nationalities. Yeah. So Americans see a ton of horror movies, and women outsell men at the box office yeah. when it comes to horror movies. And I can totally see that. Most, with the exception like, of of um, torture porn. Yes. So men men end up going to see more torture porn Saw, movies like Saw, Hostel, Human Centipede. Yeah, those kinds of movies are more male driven as far as like box office numbers. Yeah. But all other horror movies, so ghost movies, exorcism movies, just straight up horror movies. Yeah. Women outsell men, and it's interesting to see how that ties to like women's obsession with true crime. Yes, I think and, it's similar. Yeah. Well, we we've talked about we had a whole true crime episode where we talk about. Um, how for me, a lot of the fear and uh, listening to these scary things, seeing these scary things is almost like a training manual in a way, yes. you know, and it's also a safe, you know, movies are a safe place to feel fear. It's a way of conquering your fears in a way because you know you're in a safe environment. Right. Psychologically, you know nothing is actually going to happen to you, but you get to feel those feelings of what it would be like to be afraid. And also, they are kind of training manuals in, like, what to do. We all know not to run up the stairs now, you know? Like, we know certain things. Um, There's also... Don't go in there! (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There's also the idea that, although I think a lot of tropes that we see... Um, especially tropes that are directed towards women that we see in horror movies are misogynistic in nature. There's a lot of misogyny in horror There's films. There's a ton of misogyny in horror films. However, whenever a lot of movies, especially in the past, have sidelined women by making it about their beauty or their romantic partnerships or, or sex or whatever. Yeah. Horror movies did offer kind of this like reprieve where we do get to see, although it's largely through the male gaze and it's yes. problematic in a lot of ways that we will talk about, 
we still do get to see women oftentimes being powerful and fighting yes. back. And so I think that that might be a draw for women as well, is that there yeah. is this kind of, like, catharsis when you see the final girl in a horror movie yeah. kicking ass, you and know? Th- and that is why this is, you know, the, the big question of this episode is, is the horror genre feminist or is it misogynistic? Is it both? I think that's probably cons- the consensus we're going to get to. There are a lot of things, as we said, in horror that is very misogynistic. But I believe that, you know, there are a lot of feminist critics who believe that as well. And I believe that there's also a lot of feminist critics from what I've read that are saying that it depends on how you're viewing the film and in what lens you're viewing it. Well, here's here's where I land on this, because in doing the prep for this episode, a lot of the articles were centered around this kind of final girl trope. Yes. Um, And here's the issue with it. Like, I think that it can be viewed through a feminist lens. However, we have to view it through the lens of the fact that a lot of these horror movies were written and directed by men. Exactly. And are very exclusively through the male gaze. And I think that it is pretty inherently sexist for that reason because of the way that these characters are written. Yeah, the thing is is that with the final girl, they have to take on stereotypically male characteristics from what we're used to seeing in film. That was something that I was reading online, that the girl starts innocent, pure, usually a virgin, that kind of thing. Very, very innocent girl. And in order to defeat the monster, she has to then take on, quote-unquote, male characteristics of being tougher, being more violent, shoving that sensitive, pure, womanly side of her down to conquer this monster. Right, right. I mean, and... (laughs) There is only, for a very long time, and I think it still persists, there was only one very stereotypical type of woman who could be a final girl. She had to be a virgin or sexually pure or at least hesitant to act out in any kind of sexual way. Usually a brunette. (laughs) She was typically a brunette. She was straight. Um, They don't drink or use drugs or smoke. Absolutely. Very intelligent, kind of bookish. Yes, all of of these things. And typically you will see in horror movies. It has become kind of something that we laugh at, that we see in Scream or in these movies that kind of parody horror movies. If she has a friend who's a little bit more sexually promiscuous, that that friend is going to die in the most gruesome and gratuitous way possible. Yeah, I found this interesting. I was reading that the characteristics for a a final girl, I got this from TVTropes.com, is a combination of the hero, the cutie, and the damsel in distress. Yes. And then they kind of take on the action girl persona and trope by the end of the movie. Yes, and I liked when I was doing my reading, they were talking about this thing called benevolent sexism, which is where we put women in the same category as, like, children, as, like, something that needs to be protected. Women and children, protect women and children. Right, and, like, we can root for her because we want her to be safe. Yeah. And whereas, on the other hand... Horror movies mow through men like left and right. Oh, like yeah. they just they it almost doesn't matter. Yeah. But the men die almost all the time in a very typical kind of manner. They're yeah. stabbed, they're shot, we move on. They're Whereas, not like tortured, mutilated, right. sexually assaulted. Right. Whereas yeah. women, there's a lot of 
really gratuitous violence that happens to women, yeah. um, which is kind of part of my problem. I've, I've had trouble articulating this to people in the past, but part of the problem I have with a lot of Quentin Tarantino movies is that there's this glorified, glamorized violence against women where there's a lot of choking up close, up the face yeah. shots with snot and tears running down her face yeah. and, and things like that where we do not see that same sort of thing happening with men as often. Right. But And this is my comment to that because I completely agree. But also in life, in my understanding from what I, my knowledge of the situation is that typically men are killed in a more stereotypical fashion than women in real life. You hear more about strangulation and asphyxiation with women. You hear more about sexual assault, sexual mutilation with women. These are all things that are true and that actually happen. Sure, Although, but, but when, when the director and the writer is a man... That's what I'm saying. And also the way it's shot is very insensitive to it's it. It's stylized, yeah. which I, I think is part of the problem. And then when it's a writer and director who is a man who is doing this frequently, it does feel like torture porn. It yeah. seems unnecessary um, to the plot of the film at that point. It is glorification to, of it. To, to glorify it in that way. I understand, you know, where is the line between this is a thing that happens that we need to talk about and this is unnecessarily gratuitous. I, I think, yeah, I think what what you said is correct where it comes down to the writers, the directors, uh, making sure that the way that certain things are shot is taking into account the reality of the situation and the gravity of the situation and filming it in a way that doesn't diminish the woman. Right. I've seen a number of rape scenes that to me seem sexualized. Yes. And whenever that happens, to me, that seems dangerous. To me, you know, whatever What message is that sending? We talked about rape culture last week and uh, on Instagram, I posted that kind of pyramid of, uh-huh. like, here are the little kind of microaggressions that contribute to rape culture, and, you know, at the top, it's, like, out-and-out out rape. And there is somewhere in the middle that's, like, gratuitous images of sexual violence uh, that don't need to exist. And it does kind of... It does contribute to rape culture when we start commingling sex and violence, like, out-and-out yeah. out violence, yeah. you know? So... You know, I, I say all of this as a huge horror movie fan. Of you know, course. I love I mean, horror films. But that's that's the thing about us, Keegan. We love a good problematic fave. Right. Yeah. You know, we love to talk about the things that we still enjoy while still being able to critique it. But I think also by critiquing it and understanding things, that helps us then seek out other types of movies, you know, like it helps us push for those types of movies to be made and produced. Right. Yeah. So. I, I think it's important to look at things through a critical lens. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about the final girl. Yeah, right. Let's do so it. Cl- uh, Carol Clover, she is an American film professor. She coined the term. Uh, final girl in her, her 1992 book Men, Women, and Chainsaws: Gender mm-hmm. in the Modern Film, uh, Modern Horror Film. I think that I got this from Offscreen.com. We'll put okay. all of our sources in the in the notes. Yes, but it says while most theorists label the horror film as a male-driven slash male-centered genre, Clover points out that in most horror films, especially the slasher film, the audience, male and female, is structurally forced to identify with the resourceful young female, the final girl 
girl who survives the serial attacker and usually ends the threat until the sequel anyway. Right. So while the narratively dominant killer's subjective point of view may be male within the narrative, the male viewer is still rooting for the final girl to overcome the killer. And that is because of the of the stereotype of the final girl being, you know, virginous and straight and intelligent there is something it's kind of to me it sounds like an underdog situation and the men can relate to not relate to the girl but almost respect her because we are taught to respect women who are very pure and virginous and things right, like which that which is which is a problem it's you a know huge like problem. the fact that they're written that way i think is a huge issue because what what they're saying really is that like the only women worthy of our respect or worthy of li- making it to the end and yeah. fighting off the monster are the ones who adhere to our social yeah. views i'm reading you know? i'm reading a book by ann rule right now called uh green river running red and it's mm-hmm. about the green river killer and most of his victims were um sex workers yes. and addicts and it's interesting how society views sex workers and addicts being murdered rather than viewing um you know the high school sweetheart type of girl right, or a mother they always have or, to say yeah. a mother of two is murdered or whatever yeah but even if she's a mother and a sex worker they will always say sex worker they will say yes. sex worker that will tear her down the job then um is tied to her worth and i think that that's a lot of the same um Feelings that we have in horror films where, like you said, if there is the blonde or promiscuous friend or the friend that's a little bit wild and crazy and she suggests that the timid girl comes drinking with them that night, you're like, "Uh uh-uh, this girl's trouble. She's going to die. She's going to get you in trouble. And in some way she deserves it. Like, that's kind of, that's what we are expected to believe. Just like, you know, the term that they use when they're talking about murders of homeless people or sex workers is less dead. We consider them to be less dead already, therefore we are are less sad when they do die. Right. And um, she and this girl in the film should have every uh, opportunity to go and drink at a party or hang out. That doesn't mean that she should be killed in the woods, you know, things like that. But as viewers of these horror movies, we see, we understand the tropes so well, even if we can't label them and give a name to them. We understand what that character is there for. Yes, and it's, it is dangerous. Because it's so dangerous. Because it, it leaks into your real life. It, it Absolutely. For me, growing up, I did have this belief. Again, we talked about this with our rape culture episode. It's amazing how these two kind of cross over. But, like, I did feel less sorry for girls who were promiscuous or yeah. put themselves in positions um, by society standards to be assaulted or be murdered or whatever. Like, we were expected. Yeah, what do you expect if you're going to be working on the streets or if you're going to be uh, right. dealing with drug dealers, things like that? It's and like, so well, what did you think was going to happen? When we have movies that kind of reinforce this for us, it makes us less sensitive to real life situations. Like that yeah. is how I feel about, you know, about that. I think it's it is kind of a dangerous. It's trope. it is it's very dangerous because I think that, you know, we get so much of our ideas from television and movies um that if we're seeing the same things over and over again, that is going to bleed into your life. And the way you see the the party girl, the way that you see someone who is a little bit more wild or someone who doesn't live a normal suburban lifestyle or a lifestyle like yours, because we're so used to seeing 
these situations play out in film right. and on television, we we emulate that. Right. That is it, teaching It's us. like how you can feel yourself caring less whenever, you know, someone's murdered and then you find out, oh, well, he had drugs in his system. Even if that has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. It's one of those things where we have been conditioned to think, well, they were obviously living a very dangerous lifestyle. Yeah, well, what was his name? It was a Joshua Brown who was murdered after the Amber Geiger trial. Yes. He, um, I mean, there was it was the drug deal gone bad situation. Well, you know and what even I mean? even the one that we just talked about, um, Tatiana Jefferson, who was shot in her home, they they the police the Fort Worth police actually had to issue an apology because they put out that she had a weapon in her home in oh. her home. Yeah, like she mean it was on her. It was not on her. She had a gun in her home in somewhere Texas. in Texas, Come and on. so they had to issue an apology because they had to say like, yeah, that was an unnecessary detail for us to release. Yeah, and they released it very consciously because they knew that it would a certain segment of the population would lose a certain amount of sympathy it would because she a wasn't the perfect victim exactly and these movies play into that and i saw something pretty uh, interesting where robin wood who wrote a series of essays about american horror he put it this way in his book the 1990s teen horror cycle final girls and the new hollywood formula he said the violence against women in movies has generally been explained as a hysterical response to the 60s and 70s feminism. The male spectator enjoys a sadistic revenge on women who have begun to refuse to slot neatly and obligingly into his patriarchal predetermined Ooh. view of the way things should naturally be. And you can actually see this direct correlation between like second wave feminism uh -huh. and the rise of the slasher film. Like the yeah. first really big slasher film that we saw was Halloween yeah. with Jamie Lee Curtis as kind of the perfect quintessential final girl. Her yeah. friends are off having sex and she is just a sweet babysitter yeah. who is taking care of children and when she does kill people um, or attack people it's with traditionally feminine items like knitting needles and things yeah. like that. But we saw this direct rise of like sexual freedom, female sexual freedom and um, you know asking for more rights and things like that yeah. with a rise in violence against women in movies and in uh -huh. slasher films. There's like a direct line. Yeah, and those. they say that the, also there's a spike in horror movies when there has been tragedy, and a lot of times the types of horror movies that come out relate to the tragedy of right. the time. Mm -hmm. And I think to a lot of people, the rise of feminism is a tragedy. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? It's, it's their response to their privilege being revoked a bit or being challenged in any way. Right. And so these horror movies are almost kind of explaining the story in such a patriarchal light that we need to keep women down in some way. Right, and the only one who can succeed and is allowed to move on to the end is the one who fits most closely with our existing power structure. Exactly. And can exist within that. So, I mean, she becomes masculine enough to win in the end, but she maintains and holds on to her purity and all of that stuff throughout the film. She fits into the patriarchy nicely. Yes, yes. yes exactly. Oh, okay. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the female monster. We were already talking about that a little bit, about when the girl becomes the villain. This is more about when the girl is the villain. And one of the um, I, one of the examples that I was reading about was Carrie, although I would say that Carrie, you know, was kind of a final girl turned villain in a way because she does start... I haven't seen this movie in a long time, mm -hmm. but if I remember correctly... I've seen it pretty recently. Yeah, she starts off being very homely. She's abused by her... She's abused by her mother, mother yeah. who is a hysterical, um, 
kind of like she's a hysterical Christian fanatic. Yeah, yeah. So it's then it's then making her carry like a very pure and she's bullied at school. Yeah, timid girl, and then she you know she's bullied to the point where she snaps. breaks, she snaps. I mean, those blood pigs' blood poured on her, and she loses it. You know, but there is um she, she is still categorized as this female monster, and we're not supposed to identify with Carrie as she becomes a monster, but fear her as we see what happens when women gain power and are no longer repressed. Yes, absolutely. So in this off-screen article, which is a very good article, but it is pretty dense. It's like very like in dense yeah. like intellectual uh, a lot of writing. Stuff. But it was interesting because even in movies like that where we are supposed to see kind of like a powerful woman or woman take her power back, because that's yeah. what we're seeing in Carrie, right? We see a very similar thing in Teeth. Which is uh, I was gonna talk uh, about teeth, and, and we consider teeth to be like a, a feminist horror movie. Yeah. How, however, the issue that I have with movies like this is that it's still. So this is what they said in this um, off-screen article. They said there's still only an externalization. An externalized reflection of male anxiety and yes. fear of the female. Exactly. So if we don't live in a patriarchal world, women will become monsters. Women can't just be the hero. Yeah. They have to be this thing. They have to grow into this thing where they're taking their power back in a very violent way. Yeah. And very often through things like literally castrating men. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's still through this, this lens of like anxiety, male anxiety. Yeah. I mean, I've talked about teeth probably more often than I should on this podcast because I am actually, I love this movie. Like, it's so gross, but I love that movie and I've I think, seen it. I think it's kind of hilarious. It's, I've seen it's it. a it's cult classic if you've never seen it. Vagina Dentata! Yeah. It's hilarious. But also, like, it really spoke to me when I was in high school and I loved seeing my guy friends freak out. Well, the thing about movies like this, and, and this is why I feel like it's a bit of a fine line between yeah. whether or not they're empowering or whether or not they're actually net negative. It depends on how you're viewing the movie. I think it depends on one how you're viewing the movie and then I think also it's it's kind of a complicated issue because we women have had to deal with so much shit that there is this catharsis when we get to see them take down their rapists or their bullies but men or are whatever. see it very differently one men will see it differently but also there should be stories that exist that aren't because at, at the end of the day, they're still rooted in female oppression, right? Yeah. Like it's still rooted in a woman having to be violated so she has something to react to, right? She yeah. has to be raped so that she there is has to justified be a for her violence in chopping this guy's dick off, or she has to be horribly abused and bullied so that she has a reason to snap and burn the whole school down, like in Carrie, you yeah. know, like. And so it's still rooted in this kind of, like, deep oppression of yeah, women. Yeah, women can just be fucking evil, too. Women can <laughs> just be evil, and women can just be heroes. Yeah. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be rooted in this thing where, like, you have to experience this massive trauma right. in order for you to fight back, you know? Right. Well, and that's something interesting. Uh, there's someone named Viva Briefel who believes that once a girl reaches puberty, she is seen to be monstrous. There is something... With puberty and females where they they lose less of that childhood innocence and they become more of this womanly figure. And then there's the emotions and the hormones and you can't handle them. And there is something to do with puberty and sex. There's all these things that surround that age range of women when they are becoming female that makes them dangerous. That's why people are afraid of teenage girls. Right. They they become unstable. Yeah. It's like, you way. know, when a... When a 
family has a girl. Oh, can't wait till she's a teenager. Good well, luck. And, and Carrie is actually a good example of that yeah. because Carrie, while I do think that her her motivating factor or the catalyst to her becoming this kind of monster, quote yeah. unquote, is the bullying and the abuse. Um, the other catalyst is at the very beginning of Carrie. She gets her period. Yep. So she gets her period at the very beginning of the Suddenly movie. Suddenly she has the ability to snap. Right. And now she, yeah, she has this. And also it's one of those things where there's this uh, repression of female sexuality because her mom is this religious zealot who's, yeah. who snaps because she's gotten her I period. I have to watch that movie again. Um, I want to see Rosemary's Baby. I've never seen that one. Rosemary's Baby is a good movie, but it's Roman Polanski, so oh, I... Oh, uh, fuck, no, that's um, right. But, but Carrie is good, however, I think, you know, I didn't expect to be talking about Carrie this much, but Carrie is a good example of a movie where we... I don't know how the movie wants you to feel about Carrie. Like, is she a monster? Or is she, you Are you supposed to be rooting for her because she has been the abused? The ending definitely makes you think that she's a monster. Right, yes. That ending scared the shit out of me in high school. But it's also a good example of a movie that is very, very, very clearly written and directed by a man because yeah. there's a lot of gratuitous male gaze. Yeah. Like, in the beginning of the movie, unnecessarily, it's just a bunch of, like, naked women in a... Um, in a locker room. Yeah. Like, a lot of up-close shots on, like, breasts. And, and just I for think, no real reason. I, I think the only real reason in that would be to show the, dras- the drastic difference between those women and Carrie, but I don't think that that's correct. But it's unnecessary because yes. any... First of all, any female would tell you that that's not what we do in women's locker rooms. Well, and also that there that is too... Comp- like, polar opposites. We can still see Carrie as being a pure innocent without having to witness women's boobs. Well, and the up-close shots on it, the sexualizing of these, like, what are supposed to be teenage bodies is unnecessary. Same thing with the slumber parties of the pillow fights and they get, you know, like, it it kind of perpetuates a stereotype that isn't true. Yeah, it absolutely does. And so I think Carrie is an interesting one to look at through kind of this, like, feminist lens. Exactly. It is, and it you know, these these movies are complicated because a lot of these movies, like Teeth, I do view them in a different way than my friends view it and that my guy friends view it. And I I just think that's interesting. Like, everybody was like, oh, my God, I can't watch that movie again. I loved showing that movie to people just to get their reactions, to hear what they had to say. It's hilarious. There's so much to it. Well, and it's certainly a cautionary tale. It is. Well, and it's like, you know, she it only happens when the guy starts to be violent with her. Mm-hmm. She has sex with somebody when it's consensual and she's like, oh my gosh, it's not happening. Like She was so scared of her own body. Like, I'm never going to be able to have sex. That kind of thing. And then she real- she kind of gains that power of sexuality. She's having consensual sex, but as soon as that sex turns into being non-consensual, even during the act, suddenly she attacks. Her yeah, body attacks I, I would like it. to see that movie again. I haven't seen it I'll in some it time. Yeah, I haven't seen it in some time. I would like to watch it through this new feminist lens. I haven't seen it since I was in high school. Yeah, um, I haven't either, but I remember I've seen it so many times that I remember so many things so vividly about it. Um, well, it's I think that that movie. brings us to a, another good point, and that is we are talking mostly about American horror films. Yes. Um, and American horror films do have a bit of a different feel to them than other horror films movies. In this off-screen article, they say American horror, like its popular culture in general, is generally prudish and too deeply entrenched in a Puritan past to really engage in sexuality, which is so important to the horror film. Yeah. So 
I think that that's a really good point. In America, we are famously more comfortable with violence than we are with sex. Yes. We are more comfortable with our kids playing violent video games than we are with our kids watching sex scenes. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's kind of just the way that our culture formed yeah. because of having such Puritan roots. Yeah. And we see that in our horror movies in a way that we don't necessarily see in, like, foreign horror movies. They don't do the same thing. Yeah. Let's talk a bit, then, that leads us into kind of sex paired with violence. We talked about that a little bit with teeth. Um, so there there are certain sexual behaviors in slasher films, such as flirting, kissing, petting, exposed breasts or genitalia, masturbation, intercourse, or forced sex. 33% of occurrences of sex in slasher films are connected to violence. Yes. 14% of sex incidents were linked to the death of a female, and a slasher killed 22% of all quote-unquote innocent female protagonists during or following a sexual, sexual display or act. As soon, like, we, we've said this a million times so far, we see a woman being sexual in any sort of way, we know she is doomed. There is something to be said about the commentary of what being sexual and being a woman means for your safety. Right. There is. And then also, I think it's interesting that, yes, while we see a couple going off into the woods to have sex in a horror movie, we know, oh, well, they're both going to die, right? We know that they're both going to die. But the way in which typically the female is shot during that murder is highly sexualized. Like, we will often see a woman struggling or being stabbed with her breasts exposed. Yeah, and the the man is usually a quick kill, one and done. Right, and we we almost never see the man naked. If we do, maybe we see him from the back, possibly. But even then, it's, it's typically a naked female or a partially nude female with her breasts exposed, which to me is a direct link between sexuality and violence. Like, we want to see her naked or partially nude while she's being stabbed to death, yeah. you know, by the by the villain. Yeah, so. and what is that saying also to, you know, someone who is turned on by a naked woman, which is normal, right? also then seeing her being killed and mutilated in such a way, you're turned on and you're scared. Like, right. that's such a weird yeah, sensation. I, I think that that's part of the point. I think that yeah. that's why there's a lot to be said about, like, uh fear and sexuality, you know, they always say that, like, pain and pleasure is so closely linked right. together. I think that fear and pleasure can be also. I think that that's why people uh, go to scary movies on dates and things like that. I think yeah. that there is... My first date, we watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And and it's it's a very strange phenomenon <laughs> yeah. that that is something that happens, that like, brings you closer, but it, it's partially, I think, because of, like, an elevated heart rate and your blood yeah. is flowing and, like, those things. But I do think if you have been watching horror movies since you were fairly young, like I have, same. Uh, you, when your brain is still developing, you are linking these feelings of like sexual desire or arousal with violence. Like yeah. they're, they're, I think your love map can get crossed yeah. because of that. Like you're leaving yourself available for violence when you become sexual, that kind of thing, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think for men, and you know, I'm not a man, so I don't know, but like I think for men, it's when you pair seeing things like that, which are, of course, inherently, like, extremely violent, that, you know, yeah. is is stabbing, murder, like, those kinds of things that they probably, hopefully, will not take with them into right. their own sexual experiences. But you see that, and then you watch, as we discussed in our Toxic Masculinity and our Rape Culture episode, very graphic 
porn yeah that also includes a lot of violence against women you're yeah. seeing these things and you're thinking i think it's going to increase the amount of violence that you are willing to accept as normal exactly um these guys molitor and sipolsky uh did this huge study about um you know, different uh, sex in movies and correlations in horror films, things like that. I don't have all the details written down, but um, they're saying that you will see, if you watch all the movies that they studied in their list of movies, you will see sex and violence paired 92 times. Um, I'm going to talk about them more because they have a lot of other interesting ties um, of things that you see in horror films. And they say the three circumstances where sex is linked to violence is one, a partially nude female shown being tortured by the villain. Mm-hmm. Two, violence immediately follows sexual act or is interrupted. And three, cuts between scenes of sex and violence. You'll see a couple having sex. You'll see someone being killed. There's a lot of these quick flashes of mental images. Right, which creating. what does that do to your brain? Like, yeah. you know, I, I would love to see studies on, like, how that links those things together for your brain. There is something, and I remember learning about this in, in film school, and I can't remember what it is now, but there is something about when you do those quick cuts, how that trains your psyche in a certain way. There are these, there is something psychological attached to, um, superimposing two very different images at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can't remember what it is, but I know it's, it does. That, that makes perfect sense. But it, it does, it does the thing with yeah. the stuff. Um, yeah. They also, they kind of looked at these two men, looked at how men and women are portrayed differently in horror films. They studied the amount of time that men display fear and that women display fear. And if you were to watch all of the movies on their list again, you would see almost five hours of women in some mm-hmm. sort of state of terror and less than an hour of men being in a state right. of fear and, and terror. what does that... I, I think it also goes back to this benevolent sexism, right? Yeah. Like, we want to see a woman being... We, we associate being afraid or crying or yeah. any of those acts of, like, cowering and crying and whimpering and things like that as being very feminine. Yeah. Right? So... I feel like it allows the audience to have this, like, oh, I feel sorry for her. I want to protect her. I hope she's safe. Yeah. I think it's the same kind of thing whenever there are a number of horror movies where, like, maybe the lead is pregnant. And, yeah. And nobody knows she's pregnant. And there's this relief that you feel at the end whenever she lives because, oh, thank God. The baby is safe. The baby is safe. Same thing you with know? children, I feel. You know, we have a really strong reaction to when we see children in a state of fear. Yes. And I feel like... I think it is this kind of, like, toxic masculinity that stops us from seeing men be afraid, when in reality, if you were being hunted, yeah. it would be perfectly okay for for you to be very, very afraid, but we have to see men as kind of, like, taking charge. Machismo. They, they don't have time to cry because they have to... Take action. Take action. Right. Yeah. yeah. And we don't see that as much well, with women. In and terms. oftentimes they don't survive long enough for us to really see their fear. It's or or they'll survive until the end, trying to protect the final girl. That's yeah. usually what happens: is one dude will live her boyfriend, who's she's never had sex with, yep. will live with her until close to the end, and then he will die. And it's at that point that it's like the final girl absorbs all of his masculinity, and then yep. all of a sudden she can like. <laughs> 
stop whimpering and take action. <laughs> blah, you know, blah, 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 blah. yeah, it, ah. because that is kind of what happens at the yeah. end. We see her; she's this kind of feminine flower. Well, throughout as we said, the movie. they take on the masculine characteristics yeah. and identities, and then they kick fucking ass. When yes. you can be feminine in your own right in any whatever that means, and still be a fucking badass and kill some motherfuckers. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, you don't need to be Rambo at the end of the movie. So okay. <laughs> Oh my god. Um, should we talk a little bit about uh, race-based sexism yes. and just race in horror movies? There's somewhere, I wish I had found it, but there is a graph somewhere that like shows you uh, by percentages when how, they die. how likely you are to die based on like race, hair color, gender, you know, yeah. like all of these things. I've it seen it that breaks as well. it down. Yeah. So yeah, they they suffer the most in life and in horror films. Yeah, black women are almost never the final girl. No. And black people in general, it's going to be one of a couple of things. It's either they're going to die right away or they are going to be the person, and this is probably the most realistic, or they're going to be the people who are like deuces right at the beginning and then yeah. you never see them again. Like <laughs> There's the first, a lot of comedians that make jokes about that. The, like, the first sign of trouble <laughs> is the black person who's like, you guys can stay around with the crazy haunted doll. I'm going to go. Like, you guys have fun with this. And then they're just gone. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's the thing, is that that then makes them so non-existent to the plot of the movie. And in the genre. And in the genre. Like, they're not going to be cast because it's like they don't stick around for the crazy shit to happen. Which is why films like Get Out and Us are so important. Yes. Because these are movies in the horror genre that center black people. Exactly. Um, and also, you've mentioned this so many times on our show, that black women are hypersexualized. Yes. And typically... That is what they are appropriated to be in these movies. They are very stereotypical minority figures. The horror genre is filled with stereotypes. Absolutely. And when there is a minority, if there's a minority Asian woman or man, um, a African American or Black male or female, you know, those stereotypes yes. follow I, I that I feel around. like the, the black man very often is the comic relief yep. in a horror movie. Uh, the black woman is either sexualized or the comic relief or yeah. both. She's sassy. Oh, she, yeah, she's sassy. They're sassy together, typically. Yeah. I do think that we are moving away from that. I like yeah. seeing. I like seeing that there is a little bit more diversity, but I... I have yet to think of one. If you can think of one, let me know. But I can't think of one movie outside of Us or Get Out that has a black lead whenever the rest of the cast isn't black. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because it's always like there's like one black person in a cast of all white people for a horror movie. Um, No, that that makes sense. And you know what? And a lot of the times that stereotype isn't there to be a main plot point. It is there to further the original plot of the movie. Right. And I would say, like, honestly, if I was putting together the most stereotypical, like, horror movie cast, it would be a black guy who's the comic relief. Yeah. It would honestly probably be a Latino woman who's the most sexualized. Oh, yeah. Typically. Oh, yeah. She's fiery. Yeah. There's a fiery Latino woman who's super sexualized. Then there's probably the white blonde 
bimbo best friend yep. who's dating the shitty jock guy that we all hate and are happy that he dies. Yeah. And then there's like the sweet brunette final girl and her very nice boyfriend who's friends with the jock guy, but like he's very different than and, him. and is always like, hey man, cut it out. Like yeah. throughout the whole movie, but you're like, why are you fucking friends with that douchebag? You just explained every that 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 movie. is pretty much every teenage horror movie. Yeah, exactly. This guy, Harry M. Benshoff, says the vast majority of those films use race as a marker of monstrosity in ways generically consistent with the larger social body's assumptions about white superiority, which I think makes a lot of sense. It is more important for the viewer to have the innocent white person survive than it is to have the minority survive because in, in life, when a black man or a black woman is killed, the response from the public is historically different than if right. it was a adorable white girl next door. Absolutely. And I oftentimes see, whenever we do see black people, like, adiosing out of a film, whenever yeah. they're, like, later dazing and getting out of there, I feel like the film, the subtext is supposed to be that this is a cowardly act as well. Like, And so I don't think it's portrayed, whereas it's, like... If no, the, they're just being fucking smart. They're being smart, where it's, like, the white guy who sticks around is brave yes. and, like, chivalrous. I agree. And, like, wants to protect his girlfriend and stuff Never, like that. I didn't even think about it that way. You know. I, I agree. I, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just chock full of well, tropes. Well, and this is the thing, is that the horror genre has more chances than any other genre, really, to change that narrative. They have the ability to explore violence against women and minorities and show the extent of that and, violence. And it is beginning to change. It, it really is, and yeah. that makes me so happy, but we need more of it. We don't. We have two examples right now that we can think of. But instead, it makes these issues worse and neglects these issues that are... Um, happening to minorities and women, and it's well, luckily, it's enhancing the stereotype. And I do think it's getting better, but do fucking better all the time. Like, yes, absolutely. I want to see a film that is a stereotypical teen slasher movie, horror movie, but not be stereotypical. Flip the scripts a little bit yeah, on the characters. Yeah, I mean, there are a handful out there. Like, uh, It Follows, I remember being very good. It, uh -huh. it did a commentary on, like, sex and horror. Yeah. Um, but it I I enjoyed it. I think the Babadook was good in I've that it was that. a, a com seen it. a completely different type of horror movie. But the difference is these movies have women behind the camera. Yes. So when when we talk about that, the Gina Davis Institute found that men still comprise the majority of speaking roles and screen time in all genres except for horror. So yeah. while very often the women on screen are being portrayed in a very misogynistic way, they are receiving more screen time and um, more dialogue than men. Yeah. And more women are stepping into roles, into directing and writing roles behind the camera. And so we are starting to see a bit more like feminist horror. Yeah. That it, it pulls away from the male gaze a little bit. And it's you interesting know? to see, you know, I was doing some reading on Jennifer's Body, another one I haven't seen and really want to see, but I know I a saw lot it about years it. Years ago. Yeah. That came out like it was Diablo Cody right after Juno. And it really didn't have a very very good response to it. It was marketed all I, wrong. But I remember enjoying it, actually. Like, yeah, I, I mean, a lot of people really, really liked it, but it, the way that it was intended to be viewed and the way that it was marketed, like the trailer and the posters were very, very sexualized, um, sexualized yeah. for the male gaze. And then the movie itself actually had a lot of other, like, deeper meaning to it. Um, so it's kind of become like a feminist cult classic, as mm -hmm. has Teeth, uh, where through the years it's aged very well. You yeah. know, now people are starting to like it more. And yeah, women 
women write for women the best. Right. I mean, this is what we need just in general. Like, the the fact that both Get Out and Us were record-breaking films and yeah. record-breaking horror films directed and centering black people uh, should go to show that, like, we are ready for something different. As someone who loves horror movies, I love it. I'm gonna watch it no matter what it is. Yeah. But there is something to be said for, like, going to a horror movie and then feeling like, yeah, I knew exactly what was going to happen. It takes yeah. the fear away a little bit. Like, yeah. I want to be surprised because it's the surprises that scare me. And so I think if we can get more people of color behind the camera, more yeah. women behind the camera. And if you're doing a movie like It Out that's surrounding race, mm-hmm. have a person of that race be the one to write it, direct it, right. understand mm-hmm. it. He had, there's, there is a, a history behind it that you see on the screen that the writer and director has gone through and is feeling and that understands instead of if I were going to write Get Out. Right. Yeah, exactly. That would not work. Exactly. Like, diversity behind the camera is really what's going to change these films. Yeah, we need diversity in writers and in directors and even just, like, crew members and people being involved. Like, diversity is not going to hurt Right. The industry. It's going to improve it. Absolutely. And so when talking about, like, whether or not we think that horror—whether or not horror movies are feminist or not, I think it comes down to both. Yeah. (laughs) I I think it's both. I think inherently no would be my answer. I would say that, like, the final girl girl trope is not feminist in general. I think that— much of what has the been portrayed. The female monster is very misogynistic as well. I think at their core, they're very misogynistic and they play into a lot of misogynistic tropes. However, they have allowed women. I mean, how many female movie makers now, how many directors and writers kind of grew up seeing these like super hardcore badass women in film and thinking that they could improve upon that. So it did allow a space for female actors to step into these roles, and it did allow a space for women to see themselves as something other than homemakers or, you know, inherently completely sexual beings. It made them powerful in some way, even if it's still at a patriarchal lens. Yeah, like, for for instance, I think another final girl that's very stereotypical in that, like, she is supposed to be hyper-masculine is Ripley from Alien. And I love Alien. I love Aliens. Like, Aliens is one of my favorite movies. Keegan Hart's Aliens. Yeah, there's a um, face hugger right there. On, oh, look at that. <laughs> in the closet. In the closet. So, yeah, I, I love Alien, and I love Aliens, and I do think that watching that movie, even though it played into a lot of these stereotypes, I think watching that movie empowered a lot of young women. Yeah. I, I do think that it did a lot of good. So I think it is a mixed bag of, like, yes and no. I see that in the X-Files, too. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. That kind of different female lead. Yeah, you're getting to see a woman be smart. Yeah. Because anytime, I talk to Anthony about this all the time, because there are a lot of alien movies now, of course, you know. And every single one of them, every single one of them, including the new one that just came out, it's like, if you had just listened to the woman in the first ten minutes the rest of the movie wouldn't have happened. Every Harry Potter movie. (laughs) Yeah, the rest of the movie wouldn't have happened if you had just listened to the woman. So, I mean, there is something to be said for women being portrayed as the smart ones, like as the ones who have the most common sense. Like, that, I think, is a positive. 
Yeah, let's talk a little bit about torture porn to finish this episode off. Um, <laughs> a good, nice palate cleanser, yes, torture porn. Something called Collins Dictionary. Couldn't find a Webster's Dictionary definition online this morning. But they define torture porn as a genre of horror films in which sadistic violence or torture is a central aspect to the plot. Saw is a great example. I love the Saw movies. I've seen all of them. <laughs> I don't know why. I enjoyed them a lot when I was in high school. It was There's something weird about, like... I don't like gore, and I will turn away from it. Same. But I will still put it on and, like, watch it, and then I'll just, like, turn away from it. Because that's part of the fun. You know what I mean? And there's, for me, there's certain types of gore I can handle and certain parts that I cannot. There's one, there's one of the Saw movies had a scene in it that I, it lives in my brain. Which one is it? To this day, it's the one where he has to put his hand in this machine and there's that rotating <gasps> saw yes. and it cuts up the middle of his arm. And I didn't even watch it, but the sound yeah, yeah, of yeah, like yeah. splintering bone it but there's, lives in my my psyche. Yeah, sorry to bring it up. No, it's okay. <laughs> but there's, there is something, again, a lot of this horror, the horror genre is cathartic. And it's also a place to feel fear and be safe, as we've said. The so first Saw is, movie I love. Yes, it's yeah. so good, mm-hmm. that twist. Mm-hmm. Um, but like... There, There is something for me that I enjoy about these, like, slasher films while at the same time fucking hating them at the same time. Yes. Like, Human Centipede, come on. I've never seen it. I'm never going to see it. I, that I started is disgusting. it and turned it off. Oh. I, I started it and turned it off about, like, half an hour in. That makes my butthole clench. I can't. I can't <laughs> as handle it. Should. it. Yeah. it should. Yeah. As I, it doesn't feel good. Um, yeah. So, so... Uh, I was reading an article on Salon.com. Oh, by the way, torture porn was coined by uh, David Edelstein in the New York Times. So I was reading an article on Salon.com, and the question that I caught from this was, are these films about the total destruction of women, or are they about the control that a woman gets by going after her attacker? And I think that that is throughout different genres within the horror genre, but the same within torture porn. You know, like we were saying earlier, we are seeing women being mutilated and tortured. But you know what? I think I would argue that in a lot of torture porn movies, we're seeing a lot more men being tortured. And yeah. I think that that, it kind of turns the, the... And it kind of shows men being in total fear. Right, and men being helpless, which is yeah. something that we don't see a lot. Like, the movie Hostel yeah. is another torture porn movie, and most of the torture you're seeing in that movie is done to men. Yeah, and you know? it's interesting because the torture film genre really is a male-dominated viewership. Yes. And I wonder if there is something cathartic about the male viewer being able to see men in a state of fear and panic and being in, you know, because they don't have to fear the sexual aspect that a lot of these horror films focus on. This is another torture, like putting your hand in an unknown box with saws in it is something that both women and men can relate to. And then they're seeing men respond to it in that way. Well, and Hostel, I think, is a good example of a torture porn movie because uh, they end up in this kind of very vulnerable situation because I-, I can see how it could be kind of cathartic for men or a cautionary tale for men the same way it's kind of for women because they end up in this situation they end up in because they're quote unquote like led by their dicks where yeah. these women like want to have sex with them and like w- lure, lure them. them in which is problematic in itself that kind of like siren women yeah. luring them in yeah. um, but that's how they end up in this kind of very very scary well, vulnerable but maybe the situation women are- aren't actually luring them they're thinking with their dicks 
Yes, you and know? then there is a final man situation in that movie as well. Yeah. Where, like, all of his friends die and he gets to kind of be the person at the right. end. Right. So... Yeah, and then I I was actually reading another article at academic.oup.com where it was talking about The Handmaid's Tale being kind of like torture porn, which I... I just finished the third season last night. How amazing was the third season? <sighs> the third... You know what? I forget every <gasps> time a new season of Handmaid's Tale comes out. I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that either, Siri. <laughs> Okie dokie. We're going to put that down. Uh, how much did it hear? <laughs> I don't know. I'm very scared. All, all of it. AI oh, is always listening. But... There is something that I always forget about Handmaid's Tale that, like, you are going to be the maddest you have ever been Yeah, in the middle of the series. Like, the first few episodes, you're like, okay. Then the middle, like, eight episodes, you're like, I'm going to actually... Burn it down. Burn this town to the ground. Yeah. And then the last few episodes, you get that kind of cathartic release at the end. Yeah. But, but it's interesting that, that this woman... I think it's emotionally torture. Uh, yeah. This yeah. woman, Brenda R. Weber, who wrote this article, is saying that... She's actually saying that a lot of it is very visible. You know, we're seeing women in very embarrassing states when it comes to their abuse, like peeing themselves or being um, objectified in certain ways. And she, the quote says... Why do viewers need to see all of the atrocities before they might take the patriarchy seriously? Yes. But I think that's, I I just, the reason that I love The Handmaid's Tale and I kind of don't agree with this article fully is because I believe that everything that is shown, they have said, are things that actually happen. Well, like, and, and the thing is, genital mutilation and the humiliation, the sexual abuse and the the power over women it's real and it's what we were talking about where of course i'm a bit like on the fence about this because it's what we were talking about last week with our rape culture episode that it is hard that women have to lay themselves bare and expose all of their trauma for men to take, take the patriarchy seriously. seriously. Like, that yeah. is difficult. It's It shouldn't be that way where, like, you need to see all of this stuff in order for you to want to do something about it. Right. But at the same time, if we can start pulling men over, then it's net positive. So it's, yeah, it's kind I of mean, one it's of those kind things. Of, it's a seeing is believing kind of thing as well and an ignorant thing because... People may not be aware of the different things that are happening in the world today, if not for TV and movies who display it for you and talk about it, because that is a way of educating it, as well. It's the same way I feel about, about like, slave movies, for instance, yeah. where I am happy that they are out there because I'm happy that they are exposing people who... I don't know, exposing a certain type of people to this kind of movie or experience. One, and understanding that the racism then is still alive now. But it's also very upsetting to me that black people have to constantly Relive be it. educating on the worst kind of trauma that our ancestors endured over and over again in hopes that we might maybe have an impact on that dumb white person. You yeah. know, like, that. that's frustrating. And so I understand... I understand where the criticism comes from, but at the same time, these are important stories that need to be told. So right, and if you and if you yourself is wanting to 
be the actor to do these things and wanting to tell the story, I think mm-hmm. that's your right. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that, like we were talking about in the rape culture episode, you don't have to share your sexual assault. You don't have to share intimate details of your life. If you so choose to, and for, for some, that purpose... Some women that might feel powerful to them. Ex- for me, talking about a lot of my past experiences is, em- is empowering to me. Mm-hmm. That's the reason why I, I talk about my mental health past and we've both spoken about sexual assaults. Mm-hmm. To me, it is empowering because it takes it gives me that feeling of autonomy back. Right, yeah. And I think, you know, bringing it back to Handmaid's Tale and that being kind of this torture porn, I... I also think that for a lot of men, and again, this is sad that it took this, but I think for a lot of men, it did, that 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 show does a very good job of viscerally making you feel the kind of fear that women can feel, even yeah. though we're not in that situation. You know, <laughs> we could be. We could be. But we're not. You know what I mean? We're not in this kind of theocracy where yeah. women are treated like that. It's still, there's something very primal and real about the fear that women feel um, from men who are in positions of power. And I think that it does get across that fear very well to men as well. So it's... But I, I I can also see it as being for me it's more of a form of like psychological torture porn. Oh yeah. Where I'm for like, real. why am I putting myself through feeling yeah. the worst feelings I've ever felt? Oh, it's you know, so good though. <laughs> oh, how obsessed with that but show. But I think you do it for you know you do it because at the end there is this release. Yeah. And I think that that's what horror films and you, are. And you watch it because you know there has to be some. Yes. Sort you're of like resolution. there will be a light at the end Posi- of this tunnel. I mean, even positive or negative, there's going to be a resolution and we have to get to it. So I'm going to keep watching it to realize what that is right and you do have that sunken cost fallacy with that show too where like once you get so far in you're like well i have to keep going now yeah like, i can't like stop. yeah i have to binge this now <laughs> i can't stop but <sighs> I, I think that that's horror films in general i think yep. horror films you you watch them and you go through the worst of it so that you can have the release at the end yep. that's what you do so the consensus at the end of this episode just like it is with many of our problematic faves yes it's, it's always the same. It means somewhere in the middle. You yeah, know? Yes. It's problematic. It's misogynistic. But it can also be empowering. It can be um, cathartic. It can be positive. Just like any problematic fave. Yeah. Proceed with caution. Yep. Watch through your own lens. Yeah. Uh, but know that at the end of the day, it could be... I think we're moving in a good direction I with think horror. We are. I think the horror genre has the potential and to be And it has been for a long awesome time. Shit. Horror movies of the 50s and 60s are different than the 80s and 90s and so on and so forth. So. Absolutely. Well, you guys, thank you so much for listening to this kind of spooky October Ooh. Ooh, episode. If you have any comments on this episode, want to share any specific movies that you enjoy that you think are problematic that you think are great if you have any comments on what we had to say all of the above go ahead and email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com you can follow us and direct message us on instagram at angry neighborhood feminist catch us on twitter if you want at yamf podcast y-a-n-f podcast we have a facebook business and group page and you can rate and review us on our business page and as we said in the mini episode we're going to start getting more involved on facebook and we really want our listeners to get involved as well it's a great opportunity for a community to be formed for support you know you share so many wonderful stories and experiences with us privately that if you want to start having more of those discussions and getting the support from this community we get have so many amazing kind sensitive listeners who i think could help 
support you. And I think the Facebook group is going to be a great place for a real loving community to be formed. We will ensure that it is a safe, loving community as well. Um, You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. If you aren't already, go ahead and listen to us on Radio Public. It's a free way for you to listen, and it helps us out just a little bit. And don't forget about our live show on October 24th, hosted by The Swallows Flight at Flowers, Magic, and Meditation. Our show is starting at 6.30. The event starts at 5.30. It's going to be so much fun. Yes. I feel out of breath. Yeah, that was a marathon. That was a lot of information to get out off the top of my head. Good job. Gonna pat myself on the back now. All right, you guys, we are done with this episode. With all of that being said, we encourage you to to rage on. on. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.